Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. Depending on what day it is, maybe you are in Australia, maybe you're across the international border, the dateline, maybe it's maybe it's Wednesday, maybe it's Tuesday, but whatever day you're listening to this, I'm so excited you're here. I hope the sun is shining, I hope the birds are singing, I hope the wind is at your back. I have with me the incredible Rebecca Sar, PhD, and we are going to dive into a a topic that I hope resonates with you. But let me first kick it off to Rebecca over here for a little bit better of an introduction and she can kind of flow into our story. Rebecca, maybe you can give the people a little bit of a background on who you are and why we're talking today. Yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. Um, it's lovely to be here and yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day here in Melbourne. So um, yeah, I'm here to talk about my work, which is resonance medicine. And I work as a healer and I take people on journeys to self-discovery. So I, I also work as a coach. I integrate um, the healing work that I do into people's lives. So I've come full circle almost. Uh, I began my work as a, a lawyer. So I began my professional career as a lawyer and I moved through that, uh, went to become an academic. And I was really focused on anthropological concepts around consciousness. Um, I used to practice the martial art of capoeira. It's an Afro-Brazilian mm. martial art. <laughs> and I was very involved in working with African communities in Australia. And so I did a youth program um, on capoeira and I was really enamored actually by the the difference that it made in young um, African children's lives. And so that began my journey 
outside of the law and into the concepts of embodiment, sound, um, consciousness. I have been on such a long journey <laughs> to get to this point and I'm now bringing some of the concepts that I studied in my PhD into my healing work. So, and, and my, my PhD was a 10 year process, which really mirrored. Yeah. It was a long process, which really mirrored my awakening process. And I give so much gratitude to the continent of Africa, the cultures there and the peoples there for awakening my mind, heart and body to the possibilities of life. <laughs> it's been such an incredible journey to understand the intelligences that are held in Afrocentered ways of being, uh, living and understanding the world. Uh, so many of these um, concepts around sound, resonance, healing, embodiment uh, really still so alive in Afrocentered cultures. And when we think about concepts like magic, uh, like healing, uh, shamanism, we can really look at Afrocentered cultural practices like capoeira, for example, um, which call in the underlying philosophies and actually the underlying technologies that, that create um, what we consider to be you know, magic these days, simply because science hasn't caught up. <laughs> and yeah, and so I've um, been on this journey. I used to work, when I was working as a lawyer, I worked as a criminal lawyer with the Aboriginal Legal Service in mm -hmm. Australia. And I worked um, a lot with uh, people from Indigenous communities who had experienced so much intergenerational trauma and pain and I came to the realisation that the legal system in Australia was simply compounding this pain rather than uh, stepping into a healing role, which is really what's required if we are to uh, obtain what we call reconciliation yeah. around the world for First Nations peoples. And so that was probably the beginning of my awakening journey because I saw the horrors of what had taken place in in this country and many countries around the world um, over the last 500 or so years since colonization. Uh, and that sparked something in my mind. It sparked something in my heart. I also began to see uh, the, the talent I had for deep listening and how healing that actually was. I'm a very empathic person and I always have been <laughs> and I through my throughout my childhood I tended to see that as a, as a curse rather than a blessing mm -hmm. but as I worked with various groups I started to see that I I was the first person that actually listened to their story in their entire lives with a deep listening and embodied listening that actually came from the heart with some care and some love and I realized the healing effect of that. I was actually found myself to be quite a terrible lawyer in the courtroom <laughs> because I would feel so much emotion in that space. Um, but in the room with the clients, 
I found that is where the magic happened because people could feel human again. And so there was something in that that sparked in me and I brought it all together in a gigantuan <laughs> PhD that, that crossed Brazil, Australia, Africa. It, it, um, and it looked at um, the first time that on, in recorded history that Africa and Europe actually came into contact. Wow. I went that far back to look at how um, racial structures, racial power structures, kind of began in yeah in the in the world when when all of these different cultures began to clash and come come together in these ways and it was a fascinating journey um i traveled to west africa and i went to the slave castles there i took my capoeira uniform which was all the way from brazil back over to africa and so i did a bit of a return ceremony with that and it was really such a an embodied experience for me to do this PhD because I then traveled to Brazil as well and I spent three months in Brazil um, practicing capoeira and really soaking in what it meant to be in the birthplace of this amazing martial art. And through that, plus the, the 15 plus years that I, I practiced capoeira in Australia, I began to understand that every Wednesday and every Sunday, I wasn't just going to Capoeira to do a horda, which is the circle where everybody sings and dances and, and, and does the, the combat sport. I was actually going to church. Mm. I was actually conditioning my body to, for a spiritual evolution and a spiritual revolution as well. <laughs> and so, um, a lot of my thesis looks, um, it, it interweaves the political and intercultural power structures of the last 500 years of what some scholars call Western civilization and the colonial underpinnings of that. I interweave that with um, kind of how we can bring back magic into the mm. world and into our lives and how perhaps there are such intelligences held within um, the cultural norms and cultural practices of colonized peoples that Western society has just cut off at the knees, so to speak. It has, it's literally just forgotten. And so this, this thesis looks at, and, and this will come to my work yeah. um, that I'm doing now. It's been such a, intertwining journey um, my thesis actually mirrors mirrors my awakening experience um, I, I look at how embodiment in capoeira the intercorporeality of capoeira um, bodies entwining um, how that challenges the individualism of the west which we see as superior how it challenges the mind body dualism of the west and the um, <laughs> and the privileging of the mind over the body. Um, we look at bodily intelligence and how bodies can move together and see each other and know each other. And then from there, I move on to 
the um, the shift, the inversion of the privileging of sight over sound. So in the mm. West, <laughs> yeah. in the West, sight, the iconic is privileged over the sonic. Um, and we see the five senses in a kind of hierarchy <clears throat> with sight at the top. And this impacts on all of our learning, all of our communication and all of our ways of perceiving the world. And so in practices like capoeira and in my resonance medicine journeys, we move back into the sonic and privilege sound as a as an effervescent um, phenomena, which brings us into states of beyond the materialism, beyond the materialistic. So we can move into the spiritual, we transcend the materialistic. And so in this way, we can um, break down our understanding of consumer materialism, capitalism, and our reductionist ways of, of thinking, um, which have been privileged in the West. And then it also moves on to, into time and how um, time is perceived differently according to different cultures. And so we have um, in the West, it's monochronic. It's a, it's a ribbon that stretches out. You have past, present and future. But in other cultures, we have poly polychronic time and it's more in flow, let's say. And when we have transcendent experiences that are connected with the sonic, connected with music and connected with rhythm, we actually transcend our usual perceptions of time and we move into altered states of consciousness. And so this is where my thesis kind of um, intersects with my current work because what I do in resonance medicine is I guide people into altered states of consciousness. And I, I do that through music and through the voice. And so it's a kind of entrainment and rhythm is also very much involved here. And so my voice begins with a rhythm that guides people into a state where they can experience um, the synesthetic qualities mm. of moving energy. And so as I, as I guide people into these states, I'm also doing energetic healing on um, their subtle bodies. And so if we look at the yogic tradition, we have the physical body and then we have the subtle bodies as well and they all interact. We have the physical, energetic, emotional, mental and causal bodies. And so I tap into the energetic as a portal to the other bodies and I might go into the Akashic realm so mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing when I tap into people's uh, embodied co cognitive field it's not constrained by space or time so I can tap into essentially anything within a person's conscious field and if we if we think of consciousness as we have a local conscious body but then we also have non-local consciousness mm -hmm. the possibilities are actually limitless because it means we can tap into consciousness in the whole and we're almost working with 
the singular person's body as a portal to the whole. And and we can even break it down more than that as like parts of our body have consciousness. And so I can tap into different organs and work with them as a portal into past lives or into future lives or into the quantum field, for example. And it's it's just amazing what comes through. And so I call this resonance medicine because what I'm actually doing is I'm finding a deep resonance with uh, the energetic structures of the person's conscious field and I'm speaking that back to them. So we'd call it channeling, but I prefer to call it um, an empathic resonance, which I then translate. So I feel it from the person and then I, I translate it into words. And those words, as they are spoken back to the person, they actually, so everything everything has a, has a resonance frequency. And as I speak back these words, um, they mirror the energies that are present in the person's field. So they tap that resonance frequency. And if you think about the, the glass that shatters when the opera singer sings that mm -hmm. note, that's hitting the resonant frequency. And so it's a similar kind of concept. I'm hitting that frequency of the energies that are held within the part of that person's conscious field. And as I do that, they kind of shatter. Mm -hmm. And that creates a synesthetic experience for the person. And, and what is a synesthetic experience? It's, it's linked to mystical experiences. It's when our senses kind of, for want of better words, mush together. Right, right. <laughs> and we can experience sound as, as a vision or we can experience, um, you know, a vision as a taste or yeah. our, our experiences. Yeah. And, and so people um, will have very deep visions um, of themselves in different lifetimes. They will experience um, auditory messages. They may hear their angels speaking to them. They may have that deep love because we have more than five senses mm. and um, we actually, scientists are discovering like over a hundred sen senses. Um, and so these all come through as, as amazing um, symphony yeah. <laughs> of resonance. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, this is the person's conscious experiencing of these energy shattering. And as the energy shatter, they transmute, they move into different spaces and so this is where the healing happens and it can be um it can be a little overwhelming for people um i have a friend who is a, is a very um experienced coach and healer and i recently did a session for her and she said it's the most powerful thing she's ever experienced in her life <laughs> so it goes it goes very very deep and i I'm so honored and blessed to be able to take people on these journeys. And many describe it as a plant medicine experience mm -hmm. without the plants, which is the reason, yeah, this is the reason that I call it resonance medicine, because it is that, that medicine journey um, and, and it happens through resonance. And so I, 
yeah, I give I give thanks to my journey through my thesis and my capoeira, my own um, spontaneous kundalini awakening, which mm. <laughs> which happened through years and years of capoeira practice and involving myself in a lot of um, Afro-centered practices, um, which essentially tone the body or hone the body in the same way that yoga would, but without the same philosophical structures um, in, in capoeira. So if we look at prana in, in yoga, it's actually um, the life force, which is called ashe in capoeira. And so we have different manifestations of that around the world in different cultural practices. And in, in capoeira, it's called ashe. And this is the, the life force that we can harness to create magic. And so this is, this is almost what is being spoken through in, um, in my work. That being said, this, this uh, word ashe comes from the Yoruba culture, which is um, now parts of Nigeria. Um, and I've looked into it and they have the ashe in some um in some there's a it's called the ifa religion and um in some explanations it says that ashe is the masculine and ajay is the feminine and so you have that masculine feminine there as well uh, which is really interesting and i work um deeply with the feminine energies which in in the yogic traditions um we'd call shakti mm. so it's almost like bringing through shakti channeling shakti and shakti is is um can can be a destroyer in some guises and so that's where the shattering of these energies takes place and people go through very intense transformations uh with my work um some people have never experienced a past or parallel life before and i found that these Parallel lives are or moving energies from our past or parallel lives can be one of the most powerful ways to transform our current state because we are being impacted by the timelines of our consciousness. And if we are stuck in a certain area, it's often because there's a fear or some kind of emotion that is is being held in is creating a blockage and it can become coming from one of these past or parallel lives and when we clear that energy things start to move in this lifetime uh, at light speed <laughs> um, and other times it can be just um, shifting something in the energy body so it can be something from this lifetime and the results from my work so so some people find it quite um confronting if they've never experienced a past life regression before yeah. if they've never experienced higher states of consciousness where because i look at the i mean we delve into the subconscious the unconscious um and the super conscious so that's our god conscious state and so when a person experiences themselves in the god conscious state that can be quite confronting the first mm. time um, and so that's why I like to integrate uh, coaching with my healing work. I found that working with people for 
a minimum of three months is really helpful um, to kind of um, ease through the, the really huge shifts that take place when, when people experience my work. So I can help people with letting go rituals, uh, manifestation rituals, um, in integration, really, really beautiful integration there. Uh, yeah, and the shifts that I've experienced people um, go through, I've seen people, um, you know, buy new houses, heal their relationships with their partners, um, get huge business deals that they've been waiting for for a long time, um, heal relationships with other family members, find new leases on life. Like it, their people's businesses skyrocket. People get the jobs of their dreams. It's just, it's amazing to see what happens when we shift our energetic signature into alignment which, with that which serves our highest good. It's like when we shift our energetic field, we, and this is where the, the bodies come in. When we shift our energetic field, we shift the causal field. When mm -hmm. we shift the emotional field, we shift the causal field. When we shift the energetic field, we shift the mental field. And by, like, it all, it all um, integrates in with each other. And so these are the levels that I, I love to work at. <laughs> I love to play in people's energetic fields and recode their energetic bodies so that they're actually calling in new experiences because sometimes we just can't shift things by talk therapy alone or by like trying to tap into our mental state alone. Um, we actually can traumatize ourselves more with the, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm failing. Why isn't this working? When all it actually takes is a shift in energetics, is a shift in our state mm. um, or is a shift in a blockage um, or a, which is a different way of perceiving an emotion that will change everything. I have clients who um, can be suffering really, really deeply. And once they realize that they actually came into this lifetime with a karmic intention to experience a particular emotion, it empowers the person to say, I'm feeling like this because I'm exploring this. It becomes mm -hmm. intentional. And, I, and I'm exploring the beauty of it because if we look at oneness, everything is love. If, if <laughs> When we tap into that higher plane of consciousness, uh, we're all connected, we're all one, we're all one organism yeah. moving um, and experiencing itself from, from different aspects. And the stuff that we're made of is love. That's what knits the universe together. And when we realize this, it means there's actually nothing outside of love. And it's only our material, egoic consciousness, which is necessary to live on the 3D plane, which sees everything as separate. And so once we transcend that, if we can transcend it in an altered state and bring it back down into our everyday waking, walking field, we can empower ourselves with a God consciousness. We can empower ourselves with the infinite love consciousness yes. to be in a world 
and to understand that we can never be wrong. We can never be failing. And it's a beautiful thing when, um, for example, when our freedoms are taken away during COVID and we can't travel as we'd like, we can travel through consciousness. <laughs> when yeah. we're experiencing the depths of grief or the depths of, of sadness, the depths of guilt, the depths of despair, we can actually turn around and say, I am experiencing this for the highest purpose of my soul's evolution. This is what I came to earth to understand. And I came to understand it as beautiful. And so then we go, we move from that victim space or that space of I'm not enough to I'm perfect and I am on the right path. I'm on the righteous path. I, um, for example, I had a client recently who's been through um, like multiple um, serious traumas in her life and it's compounded um, into feelings of, of guilt, intergenerational feelings of guilt that she's now has in her energetic field to deal with. Um, and we may not think of guilt as, a, as an aspect of love, but as I channel through the wisdom that's held in the God consciousness, which is a shared consciousness between you and me, a shared consciousness between her and I, a shared consciousness between everything and everyone, everywhere. <laughs> um, we can see that guilt is beautiful because guilt is a change maker. Guilt is a nurturer. Guilt compels us to be better and so it's an aspect of love that creates change in our world when we feel guilty about something we say this is probably something that i need to change mm -hmm. for example <laughs> for example if we are uh, pushing down our feelings because through through um, addiction if we're pushing down our feelings through addiction and we're going out and we're partying and then the guilt comes in and we say, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this. Like it's probably not leading me on the best path in my life. That is where the change begins to, to be made. And it's from the guilt that that happens. So how beautiful a gift is guilt to create change in our world. And once we start to understand everything as beautiful in this way we start to tap into that infinite love and understand ourselves as beautiful in every single way and so this is this is what my work um really is about it's about because i started my life trying to change the world <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm i'm now at the point where I see the beauty is is not in in changing anything, but it's in understanding everything as, as beautiful. And when we can do that, we we actually tap into a self love, because we hold aspects of everything within ourselves. We hold aspects of violence within ourselves. Mm. We hold aspects of hatred within ourselves, and when we can look at these in the mirror 
and work through these and begin to see love and beauty within all of this within ourselves, that's where the real transformation begins. Because fear is just love with a mask. Mm. And so it takes bravery to actually look the fear in the face and say, take off the mask and show me yourself as love. It's deep inner work that is going to heal the world. That is my honest belief, having gone from looking at all of the outer aspects that could be changed and shifted within the world to the deep inner knowing that I now have is that when every human being on the planet loves themselves fully, the world will be healed. The world will be a beautiful place. And, and that is so paradoxical because <laughs> in, 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 in realising this, we realise that the world is already a beautiful place. The world is already healed. The world is already perfect because she has her consciousness as well and she is on her journey of transformation just as we are. And we are, we are mirrors of her as she is a mirror of us. And this is the most beautiful realisation to have is that when we start to see uh, our, our dear Mother Earth as our mother, as a divine reflection of who we are, it becomes more difficult to to hurt her in a way. And we naturally want to connect. We naturally want to be held by our mother who loves us and holds us on this planet no matter what we do, no matter what we we, we hurt, no matter what she, she holds that divine love for us. And... Um, one thing that's really come through in, in the, the work that I've done. So the beautiful thing about my work is that I get to uh, receive so much wisdom through the channeling that I do. Every person that comes my way has such a beautiful life story. And one thing that I've realized is that uh, no human being on this planet is free from trauma. Mm. We, we talk about trauma as a kind of sexy word these days is like, you know, heal your trauma. Have you been through trauma? Everybody has. Every single person on this planet has been through trauma. It's a part of life. And the magic is in seeing it for the beauty that it holds and the mm. lessons that it holds. And so for me, holding space for so many diverse, beautiful beings I have the privilege of receiving the wisdom held within our shared conscious field. And what has come through so many times for me is um, that our dear Mother Earth will receive our energies from us and she will transmute them for us. So whenever we feel overwhelmed by um, feelings of anger, sadness, grief, shame, guilt, things that we, you know, we consider negative, our egos think of as negative, yeah. we can actually gift these to the earth and we can do a process of imagining and envisioning the energies moving down our feet, out our feet into the connection into Mother Earth. 
um, she will receive them. And just as she receives the, the broken leaves of a tree and transmutes these into the compost that creates new life, she will transmute these energies into new life as well. And she sees these energies as gifts because she has a, a, a consciousness that differs from our egoic consciousness and she's grateful for the energies. So this is how we start to transform our, our thinking that's rooted in separation, our thinking that's rooted in guilt and shame into a thinking that everything is part of the flow and everything is love. So this is a little, um, yeah, of, of, I mean, it's a lot <laughs> of what my work is about. Um, yeah, and so this is, this is what I do and this is how I, I love to serve. I love to serve humanity in this way. I think it's, it's remarkable to get to hear the path in which you've taken. And I think it echoes so much of everybody's story. On some level, like we all have the same story. And, you know, when you, when you begin talking about starting off as a lawyer, then we think about colonialism and we think about people wanting to bring law to other people that don't necessarily want their law. Like they have their own law. They have their own ways. So why do we impose it? Well, we impose it on them because we need to make sense of them. We need to be certain about these things. And, you know, I, I love what you said in the beginning too about the idea of magic. You know, I, I've been reading a lot of, of, um, Oh, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, let's see. The Gutenberg Galaxy is a book that he wrote. And he also wrote, um, he, he speaks about the way in which sense ratios have changed over the years. And he talks about language being one of those modalities that fundamentally change the way we interpret reality. And when you talk about listening versus seeing, you know, in the West, we have this, you can, you can hear it in our words. I see things this way. I see it that way. Like we are definitely putting all of our eggs in the, in, the, in the modality of sight. And we know from courtroom testimony, bringing it back to law, that like sometimes the witness testimony is not very reliable because they're seeing different things, you know? And I could see something. I could see that point of view. I could see that point of view. Again, in the language, we see it. It's so heavy in the West. And something does happen. And you could argue that altered states of consciousness are in fact a changing of the sense ratios. When you take in an event based on sound, if we look at people who can't see, if we, you know, these, these changing sense modalities are, are in fact the way we model reality. And if we rely heavy on one, we're, we're leaving out all these other ones. I thought that's fantastic to think about it. And, you know, of course, if you get to travel, like if your environment is strictly the desert and then you go to the rainforest, wow, you're going to really see the world differently. So it seems to me on some level, as you got to be fortunate enough to travel through not only different landscapes on the planet, but different models of reality from different cultures, that has to change you on a level that's mind-blowing. I could see the transition that you're talking about. What maybe you, as, as we continue on this conversation, maybe you could tell me more about the movement and this martial art. I'm not, I'm not real familiar with it. And I think explaining what that martial art is, its foundations, its principles, and the way you move, is it in a group setting? I think that I could flesh out a little bit more 
about about some of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, capoeira is an Afro-Brazilian martial art, and it was most likely developed in Brazil mm. from um, the mixture of cultures that landed there through the um, transatlantic slave trade. And so from Western Central Africa, there were many different um, groups of peoples who ended up living together in slave quarters in Brazil. And they brought with them uh, their, their own uh, cultural practices, which included music, dance and, and magic and, um, and also combative sports. Uh, yeah, there's some really beautiful um, historical uh, works on the, the the histories of combative sports in Africa. It's quite amazing to to read about. And so these uh, different practices were brought over to Brazil. And as people were kind of clumped together and not able, it's interesting that you say, speak of language, not able to speak to each other. Yeah. Um, embodied language became the way of communicating and music and rhythm became the way of, of communicating. And so people could jump in and play games together. They could jump in and play music together. They could find out oh, this rhythm is from our country. It's similar to this rhythm or from our people. It's similar to this rhythm from your people. And uh, the movements, oh, these are, these are kind of similar. And so there were a, a bunch of different um, practices that kind of evolved through that. Batuki was one, which is a mm. tripping sport. Um, samba, uh, some really beautiful um, music in, in Brazil. Um, Brazil has one of the most uh, magical musical histories and and that I've ever experienced it's just it's heart blowing <laughs> <laughs> the music of brazil um and so yeah capoeira evolved in this way um and the musical instruments that are a part of the capoeira what's called a horda um is the circle so capoeira is played in a circle which is also um it's also quite relevant because the circle as opposed to the square speaks to um, the facing of each other. Mm. It's a, it's the yeah. circle is very important in, in rituals and it's a non linear aspect of reality. And, and some capoeiristas, uh, some capoeira masters or mestres as they call them in Brazil um, have said that, the capoeira circle actually um, is a microcosmic mirror of of life and the universe, and so we have that meaning of the circle there. And so we call it the horda, and the, we have the bateria up the top, which is the the orchestra, and um, the the instruments are the pandero, which is the tambourine, um, the agogo, which is the cowbell, and then we have the the principal instrument is the berimbau. Now, the berimbau is a string instrument with a gourd on the end, and it's played by um, you hit a stick onto the string, and then the gourd resonates and creates the sound. And then there are also um, atabakis, which are big drums which keep the beat 
as well. And so this, um, the, um, the berimbau is a very spiritual instrument and it's very iconic in, in capoeira. And it's said to like possess uh, spiritual powers and all of this, but we can really tell from the way that the music is played that it's the rhythm and resonance that creates this kind of magical um, presence and calls in mm-hmm. um, the ancestors, calls in um, the Orishas. So the Orishas are the, the gods and goddesses of Candomblé, which is um, an Afro-Brazilian um, syncretic religion. So it's coming from the, I mentioned the Ifa religion in Yoruba land. Um, it's kind of migrated over similar to the music and um, dance practices. It's migrated from Africa and it's found its place in Brazil. And so when you're a capoeira neophyte, um, yeah. a beginner, you don't really find out about many of these things. It just looks like a great um, sport and art. It, most people are attracted by the movement. Mm. And so what's beautiful about the movement, so we have the circle, we have the instruments at the top, and then the the players all create the circle with their bodies and they clap. So they clap in time. This is the usual rhythm. And so everybody who's in the circle is involved at every moment and there's always this constant exchange and constant flow. And so at the top of the circle, you have all these players lining up. It's my turn. I'm ready to go. (laughs) And they come um, into the middle, shake hands. And there's often, um, um, there's often there are symbolic gestures which are are made, which um, are also syncretized. So they might be praying to the God because part of the, um, well, part of the syncretized religion in Candomblé, it, um, uses the Catholic saints as um, kind of covers for the gods that the people were worshipping because people were forced into Catholicism. And so um, Mm. this is how it worked. And so there's still this kind of um, Catholic, like, please don't don't hurt me, please protect me, (laughs) play that goes on. And so then the the two players jump into the middle of the horda and they kind of, twist and turn around each other like this in this really beautiful non-choreographed dance which is also can be quite a lethal um combat art and in the past it has been it's been very um it's been considered to be very violent it was criminalized for a long time in brazil by the government and it was it was associated with with criminals with like laziness um, and also with uh, blackness. Mm. And so when people first see capoeira and they see people moving around in this beautiful way, people become enchanted. And that was my experience, certainly. I saw it when I was in my early 20s in, in Europe. I saw it in Brussels. And um, my partner at the time, I was sitting there like, drinking our Belgium beer, like doing the thing with the peanuts. And and then I was like, wow, what is that? They just had a lone berimbau and these two players just weaving in and out of each other in these beautiful circular movements. I was like, I have to know more about this. Mm. 
Um, and then I next saw it in a park in France and they had the, the Horda, the circle, and people were doing backflips and it was such a beautiful community vibe. And I was a gymnast in my um, in my childhood and I was like, I want to get my backflip back. <laughs> <laughs> and so as soon as I came back to Melbourne, like um, as soon as I finished that trip, I came back, I looked it up and I was like, I'm ready to begin. I was very naive at the time and very enthusiastic. <laughs> And I had no idea about the journey that it was going to to bring me on. Uh, it, it's just been amazing. And there are actually two, um, oh, there are three styles of capoeira really over history um, and, and, and two really major historical figures. So there's, there's capoeira regional, which was essentially mastered by uh, Mestre Bimba. And then there is Capoeira Angola, um, which is uh, mastered by Mestre Pastinha. And so these two men uh, drew these different styles of Capoeira from the street style. Mm. And so Mestre Bimba brought it into academies. He tried to essentially uh, clean it up. Um, there was a nationalization movement happening in Brazil at the time and he saw an opportunity to um, take capoeira out from this like criminal, uh, lazy, loafing kind of status into a respected um, Bra Brazilian um, unique practice. And so at the time, um, previously, Brazil was always looking towards Europe and particularly France um, as a cultural um, superior. But um, as this nationalization movement started to, to happen, uh, Brazil realized that it had something unique in its Afro-Brazilian um, inheritance. And so they started a movement called um, Tropicale and this was where they started looking at um, samba and capoeira, which had previously been shunned and saying, actually, we've got something here. And so um, Mestre Bimba capitalized on that. And it was a really big boon for capoeira, actually, because it was then that um, shows started appearing and teachers actually got to travel outside of Brazil. And um, the first teachers traveled to Europe and the US in, in around the 70s. Um, but there were some concerns from the capoeira community that this was a kind of whitewash that was taking place. Mm. Um, and so uh, Mestre Pastinha created capoeira Angola as a, as a pushback to the traditional roots of capoeira. And so capoeira Angola is very uh, Afro-centered and um, it's a slower kind of movement, more playful, whereas um, the Hegenal at the time was was pretty intensive and and um, there were competitions, so it was more competitive and was pretty violent as well, um, very masculine, um, and so and and the Angola is is a big focus on the music as well, and then since um, this split happened, time has moved forward and Capoeira has penetrated the entire world it's proliferated um and there are there are capoeira schools 
all around the world and Brazilian teachers everywhere. So it's actually been an incredible uh, pathway for teachers to to migrate um, around the world. And through this, a third style has evolved, which is called capoeira contemporanea. So contemporary capoeira, essentially. Yeah. And this is almost like, uh, um, I wouldn't say a mixture because the ang angoleros in my space would say that's incorrect, but um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like a, a more chilled out version of Hegenal. It's not straight Hegenal because Hegenal has specific, um, very specific movements, but it's it's a more, it brings in movements from breakdancing, for example, it brings in movements from Asian martial arts. It's, it's a more contemporary mixture of, mm. um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, this is, this is Capoeira. It's an amazing history, but the music is what really powers the magic in the space. So we have the two players that are really um, moving around each other's spaces and we have the rhythm that's being created by the people in the circle and, and the musicians as well. And then we have the song. And the song is like a history being told. Mm. And so I speak about um, the embodiment first. When we have the players moving in space together, in my thesis I talk about how this breaks down the individualism of, of um, Western society so or the, the preferencing of individualism around the world, actually. Um, so... We, as people who, who privilege mind over, over body, we privilege ways of being um, that focus with the mind. For example, we sit at desks all day on computers. And so, yeah. for, <laughs> and so for Australians, for example, to step into the world of capoeira, they suddenly realise their bodily intelligence. And so this is a, a huge part of my research and a huge part of my work today is actually understanding what wisdom and intelligence the body holds and what wisdom and intelligence the body speaks always and that we can tap into this. We're actually not separate beings in separate bodies. When we step into the capoeira space, we realize because it's all non-choreographed, we learn the movements, we learn the kicks, we learn to um, spin and move in certain ways, but we we don't so much learn long sequences and like how to to work these with other people. We make the spontaneous decisions about how the body makes the spontaneous decisions about how to move in in accordance with the other body, and so this is a really beautiful way to actually um, invert the privileging of mind over body and bring through the mentality of the body or the intelligence of the body and let that be the driver for, for this time. And once we do that and realize that we're not separate, we break down our individualistic ideals in the mind because we don't actually have a mind and a body we have what's called a body-mind system where the body is always um, is always speaking 
to the mind and the mind is always speaking to the body. And it's actually one integrated system uh, with these pathways. But what we've done in the West if we, is we've pulled all of this energy up here and we just think of the body as a servant almost. Mm. The body does the mind's bidding, but this is not, not actually the case. We have intelligence in our heart. We have intelligence in so many systems in our body that the mind doesn't have much say over at all. Although our, our states can obviously impact our health and, and vice versa. And so, yeah, capoeira is beautiful and it really is an embodied experience of our, our embodied intelligence and um, how we look at the bodies in, in the middle don't just work with each other. They work with the music that's being played as well. And they work with the stories that are being told as well. So if we move to, to the, the music, um, it's actually a new way of perceiving the world. We talked about sound before and how can we actually hear sound with the body? So we think about, yeah, okay, the ears are part of the body. So yes, we can. But we always think about we hear sound with the ears. But what if we feel sound? Mm. And what if our movements, if we let the body take over, like the full body as an intelligent um, being, as part of our intelligent being, if we let it move in time with the resonance that is created by the sonic movement of the instrument, so the movement begets movement, but the yeah. movement begets the sound, which begets the movement. This is a really part where we're, we're really starting to tap into what is magic in this Great. space <laughs> and what is energy in this space because energy is essentially movement. And so that's when we can all start to see ourselves moving as one. And what becomes really amazing is um, the Kapura Mestre's ability to kind of um, work in the, the, the stories and the spoken word into this melange, mm. which is already there. So um, the, the, the Kapura Mestres who have a native Brazilian tongue and some very, very advanced um, other Kapuaristas they're actually able to, it's almost like a, a rap. They're able mm. to see what's happening in the space and speak it back to the space. And so they, they have the, the songs which um, speak about the period of slavery. There's some really beautiful um, allegory and metaphorical songs in there. But then the capoeiristas are also able to see what's happening in the circle and speak it back and actually even anticipate what's happening there. And so the, the, the song is also part of this one organism. And this is really what's unique about capoeira as a practice. I don't know any other practice in the world that has this particular um, magic about it. And I think it's what draws people in so rapidly. Because we say, wow, what is that? 
people are moving in time with the music, which is moving in time with the, mm -hmm. the song, which is moving in time with the people. <laughs> Just, yeah. it's, it's really beautiful to watch. It's one of the most beautiful things. Um, and people just say, how? Is that choreographed? Actually, no, it's not. It's, uh, we're just letting ourselves be human. Yeah. It, um, our language seems so limited on a verbal linguistic level. And you could argue that when you see something or you part better yet, when you participate in something like that, the body is moving in conjunction with the words, is moving in conjunction with the feeling, and you're actually communicating on a level that we haven't communicated for a long time. The same way a lawyer can take something out of context, just using one modality of language is taking something out of context. And maybe that's why there's no meaning. Like, wouldn't it be a better world if every time you had to introduce yourself, you had to be like, hi, my name is George. I had to do a dance while I said my name. <laughs> like, that would be so much better, right? Like, if everybody had, this is a new rule, you introduce yourself you gotta do a dance and say your name like, first off it would be hard to get angry right and like you could be like, i kind of like this person's style right here you know and like you are communicating your name through your moves as you say it like maybe that's how it's supposed to be and when you start talking about these other cultures it sounds to me like that's kind of how things were this is the story being acted out in front of you in real time with a rhythm that everybody can feel and everyone's part of it like on some level, I'm, I'm very hopeful because I see, maybe it's the cool people I get to talk to all the time, but I see this beginning to circle back and do, wow, no wonder we're always bickering and fighting. We're not even conveying any meaning to each other. We're doing our very best to say things without ever offending someone because we're afraid. And, but like, that's blowing up. It doesn't work anymore. I love hearing about this. This is amazing to me. It's so true. It's so true. George for president. <laughs> <laughs> everybody must dance every time they meet each other <laughs> it would be better right wouldn't it be better like it would, it would transcend culture and languages like if this is a new universal rule instead of trying to set up like the world economic forum we should have like the world introduction forum and everybody <laughs> this is the new world <laughs> the world dance forum <laughs> People love watching dance, like Dancing with the Stars or this particular modality or dance battles. You know, like we, we love and I, maybe it harkens back to this idea that we have lost. And, and another way to too is a lot of times in the West, because we are so focused on on the linguistic representation of our lives, that we do sit in the desk and we sit here and our body suffers. A lot of people are obese. A lot of people have arthritis or a lot of people have these problems with their bodies because they're probably not using it in the way and you're you're cutting yourself off another you know who, who would be interesting for you to probably read you maybe already have is ian mcgillchrist who talks about left or right brain left brain lateralization and he talks about the left brain being this analytical tool in which we use a scalpel to dissect everything and the right hemisphere seems to be this idea that gets the pictures, but you, know, you could use that metaphor for the brain and body as well. It's, it's fascinating to, to see these things happening out in the world. But here, here's, okay, so as, as we stay on, on this, but we just move it over a little bit. When we look at resonance, and you've done a phenomenal job at explaining communication through resonance using the Kapowara metaphor and container. But let's, let's move it into when you're speaking with a client and now you have this resonance. Is there any danger in breaking someone open who is maybe vulnerable or maybe is in a, in a, in a very suggestive state? Like, might that be a little bit dangerous sometimes? 
Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What's life without a little danger? Hey? <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's what the spice of life, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think um, I'm I'm seeing this question from multiple angles. Yeah. Because we've actually driven ourselves into such a dangerous state uh, in our current conscious perceptions that there's so much unraveling that needs to be done. And what's to say that the way we live at this point as a collective, just to generalize, every day is not dangerous. What's to say that like not acknowledging the whole power of who we are isn't dangerous <laughs> to just continue on this hamster wheel of yeah. being so uh blind to our full spectrum of consciousness that we're actually destroying each other and destroying the planet like, and destroying ourselves yeah. as you say like look at the the illness that's that we're creating in in our fields all the time um by for example you know not going out in the sunshine not be feeling blessed by the warmth of the rays as we sit outside in the grass and like put our hands in that magic every day yeah. we're just cutting so much out of who we are and it's going to take a bit of unraveling to to get back there uh that's the reality of it um and i'm just reading thank you thomas hutchinson yeah. listening is <laughs> listening is sound touching our ears if you felt it on the body you hear it in your heart love dancing for embodiment it's been used to process trauma for thousands of years yeah, yeah. capoeira is like mythopoetic dancing absolutely <laughs> dance. dance now thomas we all have a little dance yeah thanks thomas love it <laughs> um and so yeah so that's where i sit with that um and with with that concept of of danger in unraveling um this prison of consciousness that we've created for ourselves mm -hmm. um in this moment um, but on the other side of things, it's absolutely confronting for people. It's absolutely confronting for people to go through uh, a spiritual or conscious awakening mm -hmm. uh, and, and understanding themselves as not a separate person in a separate mm -hmm. body, but part of this like, field of consciousness, which includes everything, which includes like dead people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which includes like lives from before that we are actually a soul having a human yeah. experience. And this is not the only body that we've, you know, experienced life in and that we, there might be life on other planets and we can travel there and <laughs> we can tap into the quantum field. We are the masters of our own destiny. You know, we can, mm -hmm. we can create and co-create. Um, that's overwhelming for a, a mind and a body that, is, is simply in that kind of, um, I don't even really use these, um, these like dichotomous terms, but in the sleepwalking state, let's say, 
of just like going to work and coming home and looking at the tax bills and trying to make ends meet and and thinking that their education has served them um, up until this point because it, it, it's it's kind of formed their belief system which has trapped them into this smallness yeah. this egoic identity uh, and so peeling back those layers it can be painful um, it can be very confronting and and this is the reason that I do my work on a longer term basis I've been through it myself um, I experienced uh, like a very intense kundalini awakening about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I actually um, beca- because of the way that society is structured as well there's this uh, this constant fear around whether someone is is, is sane or not mm-hmm. so there's been all of these structures created to like, if you hear voices, you must be schizophrenic. If you see visions, you must be crazy. And if you, if you don't have the right support, when you start opening your third eye, when you start opening your um, audible field, you can end up in a downward spiral that will take you to the, the, these institutions and this way, this way of thinking. And we know this because um, when in other cultures, um, it's really interesting when you were talking about dance before as well, just to segue, because yeah. dance in Indigenous and African cultures was considered demonic um, mm. during colonization, was actually like stamped out because of the power that it, it brings yeah. us and, and gifts us. And so this is part of the... Um, And we don't even, the beautiful thing about my work is you don't even have to go into conspiracy theories to understand the control mechanisms that are are happening. Um, Because by stamping out um, these powerful dances that were ritualistic um, ways of connecting with spirit from the other, which is the other cultures, um, the, those in power gain more control over more people. And so it's easy to see the gradual shift into materialism, into reductionist materialism and into capitalistic materialism and how that currently controls our world order um, to keep um, the masses small. And so during an awakening, this is one thing to deal with. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the collective consciousness and 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 uh, how it's been hoodwinked into seeing itself as small to keep the current structures in place. It's a control mechanism yep. for humanity, um, and so dealing with that is really hard. And so part of that um, is is not having these same support systems that the the shamanistic cultures have that. Okay, so when a person starts to awake to their spiritual gifts, um, they will go through, um, you know, what, what some cultures call like a spirit sickness. And so they open up to like um, other, all these energies and the, the community comes in and they hold it and they nurture it and, and they, they teach it as well. Like, um, and so then it becomes a, a shamanistic gift, for example. But in the West, um, because we're so postmodern, <laughs> 
we're just so splattered all over the place and there's there's not these um strong t- traditions to hold like because you know if we look yeah. in at the uk um and europe we did have these traditions we had the pagan traditions we had the druid traditions we had um all these knowledges and um decolonial scholars will include um women in um in their notions of oppression because they go all the way back to the burning of the witches and they say this is where um you know the the moorings for modern western society began modern western material society began because we started to stamp out all kinds aspects of spirituality where the person had the power inside themselves and then we um when we look at like christianity and catholicism if we're just looking at the west um we know that the power is with the priest and the power is with the government um it's not within the person themselves and so the collective awakening is awakening to people's true power within themselves um the spiritual awakening is an awakening to a world beyond the material <laughs> a world beyond the veil and both of these things are scary both of these things break down every conditioning that we've experienced and everything we've been taught to believe over decades of, of education and uh, watching TV and being in families that also have been through this similar conditioning, being mm-hmm. in communities and states and, and countries. Um, because if we look at it, borders are even a part of this. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it goes so deep and everyone who goes through this will have their own experiences of it. So having been through the intensity of all of this over, over, over many, many years, I have seen perhaps not all, but I've seen a lot and um, I've held a lot for myself and I can now hold that for others. And so when I do my work, I make sure that I am holding space for the person to have the awakening within that container, which is safe. Mm. And it's confronting and it's difficult. Yeah. But when you have someone there saying, yes, you are on the right track and you are okay, um, you're not insane, there's nothing mm. wrong with you. Right. <laughs> Um, you're actually um, a step ahead of, of the rest of humanity. Keep going. You're mm-hmm. a warrior. You're a, a way shower. Um, there are others out there who are experiencing this as well. And, and obviously, yeah. I, I work with people on different levels. Some people will just have one experience, and that will be very confronting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is why I like to integrate and work with people over a longer period and and hold them through rituals and share my experiences and i also have communities that they can become a part of as well i have membership communities that people can become a part of and share with um but yeah there's a lot of unraveling to do (laughs) and um yeah danger is is a kind of multi-layered word in that it is yeah i i it just on some level 
touching that ember, getting close to that flame and the, 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 the flame that burns away the illusions that is the conditioning. Mm. It's like once you, once you see, it, you can't unsee it. And sometimes that allows you to go, I have wasted my life for 47 years. You know, and it, that is the dangerous part. Like it's beautiful and it's liberating. But if you're not in a position and maybe you're in a relationship and the person you're with is like, what are you doing? You're ruining everything. What's wrong with you? You know, or, you know, you lose your job or you're like, I, I can't do it anymore. I just, I, I can't do it. It's, it's wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of it. It disgusts me. I can't do it. Like those are real things that happen. And like that can lead to depression or anxiety. And you're right. There's not enough mentors. There's not, there's not a, a medical container or a ceremonial container for people going through this awakening. And I, I think that if you find yourself in a position where you're starting to question things, the beauty of being online is that there's tons of threads to pull on. And it, it, there's a light there. You just have to look for it and you'll find it. You'll find the guy that you're supposed to talk to or someone close to him. They can point in the right direction, but it can be jarring, I think, on some level. And I, I think it's hap I think there's a quickening. I think more and more people are seeing this outlook. You know, I've I've spoken to some death doulas and you know all you need to do is pick up a biography of someone you admire and read about their last days and they say things like ah, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time in the office, you know. They they never say I wish I would have made more money, but they do say I wish I would have been a better person. I wish I would have yeah. loved more. I wish I would have felt more deeply. I wish I would have been a better brother or husband or you know sister, daughter or mother like that in some way is a generational transfer of knowledge to the next generation. Like, hey, watch out for this. And then if this – now if you don't have to wait till 70, now if you can start learning it at 50, now these 50-year-olds can teach the 30-year-olds and they can – you know, you can see it beginning to move down a little bit. And I, and I do think that that is a problem for power structures. I, I think, and I think that's what's echoing throughout the world right now is this resonance of freedom. That people are like, I'm not doing it anymore. And the more you try to clamp down, the worse it's going to get. And I think power structures have their own, you know, corporation is a, a person or something like that. But you know, the, the more they clamp down, the worse it gets. And I, I don't, I, they're probably, a lot of people are probably panicking. You know, the economy probably will collapse, but it's a good thing. Like it has to collapse. Like otherwise we're all going to die. You know, it's kind of crazy <laughs> to think about, right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, these death and rebirth cycles are happening yeah. throughout eternity. And yeah. uh, we're going through this collective awakening and um, the earth is going through this yeah. awakening as well. And so things have to fall away yeah. and our structures, our structures have to fall away. I mean, if you look at the history of nations, actually countries are com complete like, construct. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they haven't been around that long. <laughs> And all of the institutions that, that govern have been around for like a few years only, um, govern the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were created by those in power at a particular time, but we're always in flow. And, right. and people who aim to retain power can only do so for a certain amount of time before the power of the whole takes over. And it's interesting what you're saying is like we're not taking it anymore is because when we talk about, um, you know, the 500-year cycle of, of Western um, power, which has essentially been Europe and then the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, we talk about it as like a patriarchy um, and we talk about those that are oppressed. But if we look at it, 
I would say that humanity is the victim. Yeah. Because even the, you know, the white male who stood up there as the one in power, he's suffering too. He's suffering too. The nuclear family, uh, which is a creation of this time, is actually not helpful for anyone's mental, physical, emotional health. Because when we put children into the mix, there's, and we look at like double income nuclear families, there's no one to look after the children. (laughs) And so we're institutionalizing our children at birth. Um, And we're, we're creating this separation of, of generations um, and missing out on all that, that love that is possible between human beings, the love between the mother and the child when the mother has to go to work full time to pay for the house or, and, or the father is working full time, the, the love between the mother and the father, the love between the father and the child. It just, it's, it's crazy to think about yeah. how imprisoned we are within this materialistic capitalism that we've created just to stay afloat. And so a lot of my consciousness is around, um, I suppose, colonial versus um, like oppressed oppressed cultures, which uh, um, we might want to call indigenous cultures. It's really, some people call it BIPOC. Um, that's the acronym, but, um, and, and a lot of it for me is Africa because my husband is from West Africa. And so I get to see the difference between, uh, what people consider just normal in the West and what people consider normal in, in West Africa and in, in West Africa, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) in West Africa, the, the family is structured so that um, aunties, uncles, cousins, um, mums and dads are all in the same home. And so the children are being looked after by family all the time. Mm-hmm. And one person will go out to work. One person will cook the meals. One person will um, do the washing. One person will be with the children. It's not like one woman doing all yeah. of these menial tasks and then also trying to like go to work at the same time. <laughs> Um, and so these structures are kind of self-fulfilling prophecies for the West because we keep ourselves on the hamster wheel, but at the same time, right. they're breaking down because we're all at breaking point yeah. with this way of living. And the reason we're all at breaking point with this way of living is because of the lack of connection that it creates the lack of connection with the earth, the lack of connection with the air, sky, sun, ground, water, the lack of connection with humans, um, the lack of connection with ourselves, the lack of connection with the greater consciousness. We're, we're all suffering from this lack of connection and those who don't see it are still suffering. They just don't see the way out. And so I see the awakening as like the sunlight that comes through and we say, oh, there's a hole, there's a hole up there. 
Mm. Kind of like look up and we yeah, right. <laughs> look through the hole and we put our finger there and we press it a little bit and then we, it gets bigger and it mm-hmm. gets bigger and suddenly we can see this whole amazing potential of what we can be and how we can be. And then we're like, get me out of this hole. I want to yeah. be out there. <laughs> yeah. There was a saying oh, not too long ago, like winter is coming. But I think the opposite is almost true. I think spring is here. And we're beginning yeah. to see the leaves change. Like, hey, look at this green shoot over here. Wow, that's isn't that, is that the sunrise? Look at those colors. And like people are just like just moving away from the drudgery or at least trying to or at least trying to to awaken. And you know, maybe it has something to do if maybe it has something to do with the generation that's moving on, like the, the boomer generation, such a giant generation. And they're now moving on to whatever comes next. You know, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what comes next, but this giant generation is moving on to this next phase. And with that comes the passing of the torch and like their ideas, the ideas, the vehicle that got us here is no longer the vehicle we're going to take. It's like, we're changing vehicles now. And all right, guys, Get on the bus. We'll see you. We love you. Give me a camp. Give me a hug before you go to camp. You know, <laughs> we got it from here. But, but at the same level, like we don't want to lose all the knowledge. Like, because I still feel like there's so much more knowledge that we, and I, I'm, I can imagine, like on some level, it must be difficult to, to wake up to this idea of like, man, you know, what would it be like to be 70 and wake up to the idea of I wasted my life? Mm-hmm. That has to be a horrible feeling. And I, I say that not to make people feel bad that are older, but to inspire people now that are older and that are younger. Like, don't wait yeah. for that. Don't wait yeah. to live your life. Going up and doing something every day that you despise is not living. Yeah. Having the courage to try something new will be the first step down the path. To living. You don't have to quit your job right now and walk away and leave everything, but do something that one day every, that scares you, right? And then that will yeah. begin building momentum into finding something that you want to do. And you will, you, you, once you just take that one baby step, you start walking up close to it, something will whisper to you, hey, stay over here, do this thing, you know? But the world will begin talking to you in a way you can't imagine. And it will unfold in a way that is scary and liberating and wonderful. And you'll begin to live a life that's more meaningful. And I think that that is how we change, is everyone begins to be doing something more meaningful. Absolutely. Oh, there's so much in that. Yeah, um, there's so much in that. And one thing that I see is people are stuck in a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And this is what controls people. Yeah. Stuck in the scarcity mindset. I work with um, some very affluent people who are scared. Yeah, of course. Just really scared that they don't have a safety net underneath them, that there's not enough somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing about my work is is realizing and the, the awakening process is realizing that there is enough. The earth is abundant. Life yeah. is abundant. And it is always lifing. Life is coming. and Life is always there to serve us. We moved into this amazing house, which uh, we manifested. It's got like something for everyone. Nice. And the, the fruit trees out the back are just so abundant. <laughs> there's just about seven different fruit trees and they just keep fruiting and it's such a beautiful metaphor for life like when you look outside and see what life is gifting us there's no need to be scared 
but again there are these control mechanisms in place yeah. the news is, is the media is is just one the of worst. the most significant control mechanisms that we need to just switch off from and yeah. and take our own power back from mm -hmm. because it, it's very scary to see the 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 energetics um, that the media, that the news in particular, um, emits out into yeah. the field. <laughs> yeah. It's constantly telling you that you should be scared. You should be afraid of something. Mm -hmm. If it's not war, then it's interest rates. <laughs> yeah. If it's not that, it's the guy down the street. <laughs> Watch out for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one. yeah. Or all those people coming across the border. Watch out for those people. Yeah, exactly. They're probably gonna do something to you or your family. You know, like get out of here, dude. It's just a big, like alarm bell going off in your mind. Like, be afraid. Be afraid. Yeah. Look at that. You're gonna die. <laughs> just glaring yeah. at you. Basically, you're gonna die. And look how many yeah. people did today. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. brother calls it the news. Who died today? The title should be Who Died Today. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. And it's not to say that there are not horrific things happening in the world, right. but there's responsible reporting of these things. Yeah. And then there's just this um, like fear-inducing control mechanism right. that is the, the media and the news at this point in time. And I feel like the baby boomers are perhaps um, the greatest victims here. Mm. Because being around when TV was first introduced, um, how, like, what a huge technological leap that was um, and what a sign it now is of um, affluence and communication. There's a belief, not for everyone, it's obviously generalisation, but, like, this belief in government and, and, yeah. and the structures. Um, and, and, and I believe that the media forms part of that, that they will keep us safe Um and you just see, it, it was especially sad during COVID, mm. the fear-mongering that yeah. <laughs> occurred um, combined with the lockdowns and being in Melbourne, we were one of the most lockdown cities yeah. in the world. It really took people's like life force away and people's joy de vivre, you know, um, because there was just so much fear. Mm -hmm just so much fear and that that trauma continues to this day for yeah. for people that are like 50 60 plus who have already been through a lot in their lives and are probably haven't dealt with their own personal trauma and believe in in um the media believe in tv believe in um the government institutions being placed in this position for like two to three years of being in fear, it's it's actually like has killed a lot of people and it's killed a lot of people's spirits. Yeah. They were targeted. You know, when you look at the way in which information is brought to different generations, it's, it is the boomer group that watches TV. I mean, 80% of their market is 60 and up. And yeah. look at the information that came through there. And you could almost see the, this generation thinks this, this generation thinks this, mm. and this, like, that's not a, that's orchestrated, you know, on yeah. some level, 
I know enough with my podcast to know how to target different groups. You, people could go on Facebook and you could have targeted ads. Like, just think about that mm. word. It's yeah. tar okay, who are you targeted? I want to target this demographic, this group that likes these. Like, if you can do that, if I can do it, my podcast, <laughs> a multinational corporation's got some assets, man. They got to focus like a laser beam. We want these people to get this message for this long. Mm -hmm. Send it. Like, that is a targeted ad right there. And you know why it was done? I, I, there's plenty of speculations of why it was done, but it was definitely done. And you're right. When you, when you look at that group as a, as a victim or as maybe not as a victim, but as a consumer, this mm. group will consume this, you know, like yes. it's so it's sinister. It really is. <laughs> it, it really is. It's sad. And so, but through my work, yeah. I suppose I bring people back to wholeness. And so for those people that are like on their deathbeds regretting mm. or the people, I, I can tell you, um, you know, seconds later they will be with their angels and they will be at peace and they will see or, or they'll go through their life review and be like, oh, whoops, mm. <laughs> probably shouldn't do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously there's, you know, different levels, but um Many people, once they go through their life review and they resolve um, what they did, uh, they they are spiritually held by light. Mm. And there are light beings that encompass this light. And we might call them angels. We might call it light. But when we transition from, from life to, to beyond physical life, because it's still life, um, the amount of love, that we experience during that journey really shows us that whatever happened before is minuscule compared to how beautiful everything is in this moment. And that is not to say that we don't draw regrets and feelings into our next lifetime but it's part of our soul's evolution so the beautiful thing about working with me as well is that if you catch me while you're alive <laughs> while you're still like <laughs> deep in life in your um with a few years to go you can come to peace with so many aspects of who you've been who you are what you did what you didn't do because you're going to see your life from the perspective of the soul mm. not from the perspective of the human who was like oh, i chased money too much and now mm. i regret that i wasn't better to my son or daughter you're going to see oh i was working through this concept i was working through this concept and trying to mm. see the beauty in it and it was actually like my work was like just a foundation for me to do this soul work so we have all these con constructs in life, like we go to our work, we go to uh, maybe we're involved in a particular community, um, you know, even like the, the total structures of our world at the moment, they are how they are at this point for us to experience the emotions and the insights and work through them for our soul's evolution. So we could be in a in a job with a boss that we don't like who in a parallel lifetime was like 
um, we had some stuff going on and we have to sort it out this lifetime and it's a totally different construct of reality, but it's about the interrelations and it's about where we can move through and find the spaciousness. And so when we start to realize that, we start to realize that nothing is a waste of time. Mm. Nothing is a mistake. And we can see our power through all of it. And this is actually what heals our relationships because we're healing our relationship with ourself mm. first. We're, we're overcoming like these feelings of regret. We're overcoming these feelings of guilt. We're overcoming these feelings of I did the wrong thing. Mm. And once we overcome those feelings, we clear them from our energetic field and it allows others to come closer to us. And once we do that, then there's deeper resonance. There's deeper emotional resonance. We can actually have the relationships that we always wished we had. We can have. Makes me want to cry. We can have the depth of a relationship of a lifetime in one moment. Mm. We can have the full depth and beauty of what could have been a great long-term relationship with our children or whatever in one single moment of trust and love Mm. and deep connection and truth. It's it's wonderful to think about, you know, the idea that maybe this whole, the way this pans out is is a original way for us to find a way to forgive ourselves. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing is like, ah, I'm just, I'm making peace with myself over here. And if you think about it, it's so much better. Like, oh, this is what I was like. I, I need to work on that. Like in some ways, you know, I, I was a while back, I was speaking to someone and we got onto the idea of Carl Jung and, and the shadow. But more than that, the idea that everyone's a mirror and the people yeah. you see are in fact attributes of yourself that either you dislike or you admire. And when you see those in other people, you can see it from that angle. You can do some real work like, oh, I am way too arrogant. I need to stop that because that person's showing me this. You know, like, I don't like the way that looks. I better stop doing that. You know, or I love this. I love that I do that. You know, hopefully there's more of that in your life. And and if there's not, you should look for it because I think all people have things they admire about themselves. But sometimes they're so caught up in the work they're doing or feeling sorry for themselves or their family or the trauma that they don't get to Mm. enjoy that little spark that comes by them sometimes. But Absolutely. Rebecca, I, I could probably, we're going to have to do more of these conversations because it's, Bless you know, it's so strange to me. All my podcasts that start off in a way that's a little turbulent end up being like some of the most meaningful conversations. Like I just look at it as a blessing. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good one right here. So but <laughs> I'm super thankful for our conversation today. And I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface, even though we got to go in depth on some things. I think we could have much more conversations about a lot of things. And, but before I let you go today, Maybe you could talk a little bit about um, where people can find you, what you have coming up, and what you're excited about. I would love to. Oh, I'm excited about life. I'm excited about this beautiful conversation. It's just been such an honor and such <laughs> yeah. a blessing to speak with you and to share my world. Um, I have some amazing things coming up. I am, I'm going to be holding space for a 21-day chakra reset over New Year's. Yeah, so um, this will be uh, kind of an introduction to my work for many people. 
uh, we'll be doing, um, we'll be activating, balancing, cleansing and refreshing um, a chakra every three days and working through that and just um, being very conscious and noticing what that brings into our space. And so um, if you're aware, the chakra system is very connected with the, the Kundalini energy. And, and so the intent here is to start the new year off with a bang. Yeah. <laughs> and so to, because we can make all of the new year's resolutions that we like. And right. if we don't have our state, <laughs> yeah, if we don't have our state in power, it can, it's just going to fall away. And so this is going to be a really powerful process to bring our energy body into its highest state of potential so that we can then manifest our dreams, manifest our reality mm. uh, throughout the year. And I'll be doing a closing ceremony, which will be a manifestation ceremony with that. So it's going to be amazing. So I encourage everyone who would love to have a, a magnificent 2024 to get in touch with me and come through the journey. It will be so profound and so awakening or inspiring and very magical. And I'd love to hold you through it and watch your lives transform. <laughs> Beyond that, it's very exciting that I'll be running my first facilitator training uh, coming up very soon. Yeah. So that's planned to begin in March, just after the uh, chakra reset. And I'll be holding people through this for three months. And it's very, very, very deep work. Um, people will be looking at themselves, will be going through somewhat of an awakening process so peeling back all the layers uh learning the sacred art of channeling um of journey work um so this is my term for work which is like for example breath work or yeah. medicine work um through sound and i invite anyone who's interested in energy energetics who's interested in resonance and the power of sound to to bring through altered states um, as well as healing and awakening processes to apply. I'd love to speak with you. Um, I also have a Soul Circle membership, which is a monthly membership where people can come and receive healing from me, uh, an awakening process, and that's a beautiful community that's building. And beyond that, I love working deeply one-on-one -on -one with private clients. So if you feel like you're ready for a huge shift in your consciousness um, and to experience a, a true awakening and to step into your inner genius, I, I really encourage you to connect with me and go on a three, six or 12 month journey with me. I will hold you through it all. You will be completely safe and you will be awakened to your genius potential um, yeah, with my support and love. <laughs> and so you can connect with me. I'm on all the social media sites and my website is rebeccasar.com. And so, yeah, maybe we can put some things up. Um, and, yeah, people, I'd be so happy to hear from you and to hold you through the beauty that is uh, life. <laughs> yeah, I recommend everybody go down, check out the website, 
re- play through this podcast again or check out the other interviews or the things, people that you've spoken with. I, I really think that you have a, a deep drawer when it comes to finding tools to help people see themselves in a way that they want to see themselves. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big part of finding who you are in the world and authenticity. So ladies and gentlemen, go down to the show notes, look into these things and reach out to Rebecca. And I hope everyone has a beautiful day. I hope that there's a small miracle that happens to you today and tomorrow and every day after that. So that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a wonderful day. Aloha. Hang on briefly afterwards, Rebecca. I'll have to speak to you afterwards. Amazing. Thank you so much. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.